Look how grainy I am. You look so good, but I don't have my nice camera in this cupboard. I think what you mean to say is you look very in focus. (laughs) Whether I look good or not is very, very much (laughs) in the eye of the beholder. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? Good. I'm so glad it's Friday. It's been a long week. And on that topic, people management. (laughs) (laughs) This is the thing, right? So you, in the last couple of years, have been, oh my goodness, I never want to manage people again. Ever, ever, ever. It's really hard. And now you're all like, my team's amazing. Different jobs, to be clear. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) But you have moved back into people management. Yeah, I have. And deliberately, accidentally, how did it happen? Deliberately, somewhat reluctantly, maybe cautiously is a better word. Cautiously, but intentionally. Okay. Like, mm, I don't know if I want to go back in the water, but like, let me try it. And if I hate the water this time, I think I just don't like water. Right. Okay. So like the previous time was your first time managing other humans. Yeah. And it did not go well for you. How did the people find it? So basically what went wrong for you, from your perspective, what went wrong? Yeah. I don't think I was ever set up for success. I was in a company that was structured in such a way where being a people manager was almost like a side effect. It wasn't an intentional job almost. I was managing three people, none of whom were working on the same thing. They're like specializing in different things. Some of my reports They were like working on things that I had no technical context on. So I don't even think I was super well equipped to manage them. And it was my first time managing. So I was kind of trying to figure it out as I went. And Mm -hmm. there were very few experienced managers on the team in the org in general, too. So it was like we were all sort of like trying to learn how to swim. Nothing but limbs and water and drowning. (laughs) That's the image. (laughs) That's the exact image. And I think at the end of that, I did it for, how long was I a manager? Like seven months, Mm -hmm. six months, something like that. It was a lot. It was really intense. Like I took it very seriously, but it was just like a lot. Like my job changed, not just the management part, but like the other parts of my job changed. And I took on management responsibilities. And by the end, I burned out from that job. And then part of me associated the burnout with the job I was doing. So when I left people management and went back into IC many months later, I was like, well, this is a known quantity. I'm not managing people. I really shouldn't burn out because I was managing people. You know, like I was associating those two things. And I mean, that's the thing. Jobs where you manage unpredictable, messy humans are more tiring than jobs where you don't manage unpredictable, messy humans. Particularly the first time you take on responsibility, it can weigh quite heavy. I think that's one of the things you learn as you manage people. I mean, I say this like a wise old sage, but every time you have a problem with someone in your team, it's like the first time. But you learn to wear it a little bit lighter. Mm -hmm. So the pastoral care, which makes it sound sort of patrician and almost parenting, but like there is a sense in which you feel responsible for their happiness. It's like you can do a bad job and it can affect lots of people. Yeah, yeah. You can be doing a great job and still feel bad because the people who you're trying to help aren't receiving your help or are still unhappy sometimes. Yeah. And it may not be something to do with you, but it's, you do take it on, particularly in your early career of managing other humans. And I think that's why if you are going into people management the first time and you are not well supported, it's so unfair. It sets you up to fail because you don't know what you're doing. It's already a fuzzy job. And then if you don't have support systems, either people who are experienced 
like your manager should be helping you learn how to be a manager. If that's the setup you have, you should not be thrown into the deep end. And in retrospect, I'm like, nobody should be put into a manager role with no support systems. That is such a recipe for disaster. You don't just throw somebody in the deep end of the ocean. That's not going to go well. I kind of think it's particularly when you're first starting out, there's no one way to manage people either, right? Mm -hmm. In the same way that there's no one way to lead people or there's no one way to produce successful code, right? Like Mm -hmm. you have to find your way to do it. Your use of the word support there, I think is like super important there because you need to be supported to find the way that you can do it. And even if you can do it, right? Yeah. And partially because there is no sort of way to train someone to be a manager. I mean, you know, there's things you can do and things you can think about, but it's like being a parent. No one can train you to be a parent. You just kind of have to work out your own way and try not to mess them up on the way through. (laughs) But yeah, like the support thing is super important. Otherwise you've got nothing, right? Yeah. The only thing I can equate it to, and it's such a cliche, and in my case, like you leave the hospital and your wife's just had twins and you leave the hospital and you've got two car seats and there are two babies in there and they are five days old and you are like, and now what? <laughs> there were loads and loads of books about pregnancy. Everything up until that point. <laughs> and like, you're so focused on like, you know, I suppose it's the same when you're like, I really want to be a manager and like you finally get promotion and it's like Monday and you're like, okay, go team. <laughs> Everyone put their hands in the middle and then let's raise our hands in like a sports movie kind of way. And then everyone go and, I don't know, play basketball or something. I don't know American sports. (laughs) It's that kind of like all at sea feeling Mm -hmm. over time. That is definitely a recipe for burnout. I don't think anybody can tell you like, this is how you swim when Mm. you're at sea. But at least it helps to know that, oh, there's a boat right there. Or like, here's a little life raft. I can help you in this situation. Something. Have you tried breathing more often? (laughs) Maybe raise your elbow a little bit. It's okay. Like you can just lie there and float in the water, right? Like you can do that and that's okay. Yeah. You sort of have to be coached as you're doing it. Yeah. And you need like some guidance, not necessarily a prescriptive set of instructions, but guidance really helps. And I feel Mm. like in retrospect, if I stick with management long enough where I'm managing managers or something more than that, I feel like I have a whole different perspective on what it's like to transition. It's due mostly to my own experience and like the two different experiences I've had. I've done the management thing in one version. Now I'm back in it again. What I'm doing now is 180 degrees different than what I did last time. And I'm so glad that I tried it again because now my experience of people management isn't colored by the one experience I had. I can now see there's like different flavors to it. It is possible to swim. It is possible to learn how to navigate those waters. And it's not that it's like calm waters. It's not rough or something can be hard. I'm sure it will continue to be difficult in different ways. Yeah. But I'm like, oh, yeah, I can do this versus, oh, my God, I'm drowning. Hello. Is anyone out here? (laughs) So what is different this time? Well, the structure of the folks I'm managing is very different. I know what they're working on. I get to set the structure because it's an actual team versus like three individual people working on different things. I got to actually like cultivate a culture And I didn't do that on day one. I joined Mm. a pre-existing team that was still fairly new. I spent the first few months just observing what were they doing? What were the rituals? What were the processes? Found some places where things could be improved, got to implement that, got feedback. I just repeated that process. And now there's actually like a really strong culture and camaraderie and the team is shipping high quality code. And like, I'm also working on growing those engineers' careers, which is like very, very validating and satisfying and like a large part of the reason I went into people management. Mm. And I'm also very supported from my manager, who is the VP of engineering in the org. 
And like, I have resources at my disposal at this company, like trainings, I can expense things to help my growth. Like the other engineering managers and I have like a book club where we just like discuss things that apply to all of us in our different teams. I feel like I've got a core support system. It doesn't mean I'm not going to run into things that are hard and different. The challenges I experience are different than the other engineering managers. Mm -hmm. But I have people to talk to. I have like someone to go to for guidance. I have confidence that like I have impacted the team. I have moved the needle forward. Versus just being like, what am I even doing? You've impacted the team, but not necessarily positively. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just like 180 degrees different. I think this experience makes me want to be better. Mm. How do I go to the next level? How do I start thinking about things strategically from a business perspective? I never found myself thinking about that when I was managing before. I was just like, let's just try to keep things afloat. Survival, not... Yeah, not thriving. Yeah, yeah. So... When you say you joined an existing team, are you in charge of the work, the direction of the work, as well as the sort of human being care? Are you setting the agenda for like the code that is being written, the the features that are getting written? How does that work? On our team, or I guess rather in our organization, it's very much a partnership between product and engineering. So I have a product counterpart and she kind of decides the what and the why, and I kind of weigh in with the how and the who. Right, And we kind of fuse and meet in the middle where she'll sort of look at the data, look at the business needs and kind of figure out, okay, this is what I think we should work on. Or these are the things we should work on sooner rather than later. And Mm. then I'll kind of like jump into the conversation and be like, well, why this? This is going to take longer. Will this have a larger impact? So we kind of meet in the middle and then I sort of take the baton and decide like, okay, what do we need to do to technically implement this? Do we need more hands? Do we need other perspectives? Should we get somebody with more domain-specific experience to help us here. And then like, okay, who should actually work on this? This person on the team really wants to learn front-end development or really wants to get good at refactoring this type of code. Maybe they would be best to work on this and they have goals to grow Mm. in the next six months to like hit this new level. Let's try to pair them with this project. So like product sort of starts the process. I meet them in the middle and I kind of take the end of the process, which is kind of a fun dance. So is your team a pure technical team? You're not cross-functional. You have designers outside of your team who your team work with, but you're pure engineering, pure backend or front-end as well? or A mix, full stack. We're full right, stack. Okay. And just because of the nature of our team's mandate, we kind of sit at the front of the funnel where all of our projects have to do with onboarding new customers. And like we build the stuff that's like the first thing they see when they join the platform, which is pretty cool. We have to have a diverse skill set because you have to know some front-end, but obviously... It's a monolith Rails app, so you got to know some back end. We have designers who are supporting the org, but they kind of bounce around based on resourcing, pretty under-resourced actually. In an ideal world, we'd have like our own designer who's just like always on it, but that's not what we have right now. (laughs) (laughs) So my current team is, the product team is me, two back end, one front end and one designer. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm like nosy. So I'm sort of in the business and the marketing as well, because we're a really small organization. Mm-hmm. And I sort of ended up in the CTO role by accident because I came in as a contractor. So I came in as a sort of code coach kind of thing. So to ship some product and to provide sort of feedback on the developers who were there at the time and the work that they were doing and code review and architecture and infrastructure and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's only recently that 
we've sort of got a little bit more, I mean, I use the word formal, but formal is not the right word. Structured. Yeah. Maybe I'm more structured about it than I was. Mm -hmm. Like I've been in bigger teams of, you know, teams of peers or teams where I was managing a few folks, but yeah, I ended up in the CTO role almost by accident as I've been there long enough. And it was clear that I was reviewing all the PRs and having an impact on the business Mm -hmm. side of things as well. So like, yeah, it's the sort of structure that I put in place for myself to make sure that I'm having regular chats individually with folks and we're running retros and stand-ups and getting our rituals right as a team. Mm-hmm. That sort of happened fairly organically because I was for a few years before that very much an independent contractor, contributor, working with a peer or two and shipping just code as an IC. So mm-hmm. yeah, I sort of fallen out of the people management stuff, but then there's also the community stuff, which is kind of people management en masse. <laughs> certainly herding cats on the days of conferences and stuff. So yeah, Yeah. that's, but yeah, it's, you never get it right. Is how it always feels to me. That's encouraging. (laughs) Like you never nail it down because it's like, you know, you can never nail down a marriage either. Some days I'm a really good husband and some days I'm terrible. Constant work in progress. Yeah. Sometimes I'm a good parent. Sometimes I'm a very shouty man who's angry about things on the floor. (laughs) There's always new challenges because people are always changing and people don't remain the same. And you know, it, it sounds cliche and it sounds glib when you say it, but that really is the challenge is to remain calm as things change around you and people's needs change and bad stuff happens to people in your team or bad stuff happens to you, but you still need to be there for your team. Yeah. Bad things are happening in the organization and you're like, well, how can I support my team and protect them? But I can't really. I can't really because the organization is going wrong. Yeah. In my current organization, that is quite possible because, you know, when someone says this company, I sort of like look at me and Gary and we go, well, we're the organization. So (laughs) so let's fix it if we can, or disagree if we don't think it is broken. It's difficult, isn't it? It's just, you said you sort of arrived and just observed for a bit, which I think is incredibly wise. And I've tried to do that in the past. How did that go? All right. So this is the job that I bounced off. I think we talked about this before. Mm, mm-hmm, so when, yeah. I, when, I, when I arrived and sort of, I'd said the most gentle, perhaps <laughs> we could do this and maybe someone can review my work. And everyone's like, no, we smash into Maine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that didn't work. I can be naturally quite forthright. That's kind of my style is to sort of speak up when things aren't right. And I think that's almost fine when you come in in the middle. I think it's actually more important when you come in at the top of something the top of a team, not to do that down. Yeah. Like it's good to question up, you know, respectfully. And, you know, because at that point you're revealing the organization's institutionalized idiosyncrasies. Mm-hmm. So when you come in at a mid-level or at the bottom level, you go, why do you do this? <laughs> and often there's a good answer. And sometimes there isn't. Mm-hmm. And like the times that there isn't is, you know, when those questions are really valuable. But yeah, I think when you come in on top of an organization, it's important to kind of not stomp around There is no dictatorship in team management, right? You can't lead by diktat. You have to win people over. You have to, whatever version of charm that you have, or you have to earn support for the things you want to do. Yeah, the buy-in aspect. You can't just join a team and be like, it's my team now, we're doing it my way. Good luck. It's not going to last very long. (laughs) I do stand-ups at (laughs) 10.05. Screw the rest of you and your schedules. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So you, you see, you sort of watched and learned. And were there things in the team without throwing anyone under any buses? What were the first things that you changed that weren't working? And when you pointed out they weren't working, was everyone like, yeah, I know, gosh, that hasn't been working. We should do something different. Or was there resistance? Well, I watched the first few weeks, maybe even up until like a month. I didn't really even voice 
what I thought to the team, just kind of watched and observed. You were in a management. Yeah. You've been elevated to the heady heights. Yeah. And I also was like trying to learn the domain and the context of what this team was working on because I was previously an IC on a different team. So I was kind of shifting sideways, diagonally or something like that. Like it was a totally different context and a different role. And so I was like, okay, I have a lot to learn here. And that was just my attitude in general. But I think after observing, I definitely noticed that like this team had a tendency towards leaning synchronous instead of asynchronous, despite being across a couple different time zones, all US-based time zones, but not always in the same place. And I was coming in with a new time zone. I was like, okay, this is a distributed team, but almost acts like they're not distributed. Right. Which, you know, there's pros and cons, but nobody was in an office. And one of the downsides I noticed is things are not always written down. People would hop Mm. on calls and be like, let's just debug this really fast, which there's value in that. But I think when you're trying to create a tomb of shared knowledge and information, always being synchronous does a detriment. Even if you're in an office, like you want to be able to write things down. So the big change I think that I made was trying to get that team to lean less on synchronous touch points just for the sake of synchronous touch points and making sure that those touch points were actually useful. That was a big thing I did. So instead of like daily standups, it's like, what if we have two standups a day and then we have a team meeting where we have more time and we write down what we talked about and we like encapsulate it somewhere so we can always reference it instead of talking about it and it disappears into the ether. And then three weeks later, we're like, didn't we talk about this? So I was trying to get them to move to a more async written communication mindset, which Mm. I knew was also going to help the whole team and the engineers grow. And then I think the other thing is that team was so small And the nature of it was that it was very mid-junior engineer heavy, no senior engineers at the time. In fact, we still have no senior engineers. So I knew my role was going to be kind of bridging that gap until we were able to hire or... As a partial IC or... A little bit, yeah. Less that I needed to be writing code, but more that I need to provide that technical guidance if there's no seniors to do that. And like we had principal engineers we could lean on, but like there was nobody there every day to review code. There's nobody there every day to kind of teach and pair. And so the other big change I made, aside from like the structure and scheduling of the team and moving to written format was creating more opportunities to learn. Okay. Mob pairings every other week. I pair with every engineer on the team weekly and I don't ever write the code. They drive, but I just... Chip in. Yeah. Helpfully. (laughs) (laughs) I get to stay close to the code, which is kind of a unique thing, I think, for engineering manager, I think a lot of times... I think it's quite an important thing. Yeah. So that's one of the key things driving my team. I'm still an IC on my team. Mm. Which is, I think, rare for a CTO. I don't know how many CTOs get to do that. Or they do it poorly. They're like, I got to write code and then they're not doing the other stuff. Yeah. One of the key things that I work on is my ability to context shift. Most managers context shift all the time because they're meeting, 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 right? That tends to be the, the schedule of a manager. But I try and... I'm not even really carving it out. Like I'm also, like you say, I'm pairing to plan stuff. Like mm-hmm. uh, less so with my team currently, I'm not pairing, you know, unless we get to like a gnarly, gnarly problem and we just want to talk to each other as, as we do it, or there's a problem we can't solve. Tend to pair in the planning stage mm-hmm. of going, yeah. how are you going to approach this? How shall we approach this? How the hell are we going to do this? Why did I write that code two years ago <laughs> that now doesn't make any sense? Sorry about that. Good luck refactoring. <laughs> Yeah, so the pairing tends to be upfront and then this is the execution and then the review stage. Like I hardly these days, there's not many times a PR goes back for anything more than like 
a 10 minute touch up or <laughs> because we've done that work up front. Mm-hmm. But that is probably going to change because one of the things that we're going to do in my team in the next month or two is to bring on a couple of juniors. Mm. So this is in tandem with my great statement of a first Ruby friend of like mentorship. I'm also walking the walk in terms of bringing on juniors. So post boot camp, early career engineers, mm-hmm. probably post boot camp, you know, could be university, ex university, could be self taught, could be any of those folks. But yeah, trying to work out a way so that a small team can integrate junior folks or folks in their first engineering job. I was just taking notes as you were talking, like you had quite a mid-level junior team. So mm-hmm. like anything you can do to help me before I bring on these poor wretches and subject them to our organization? <laughs> I mean, I think you have to make sure they're really well supported. Yeah. You have to set them up so that they have opportunity to spin their wheels a bit but also not spin their wheels so long that they're just like flailing, that they have support systems in place, that they know who to go to to get unblocked, that they feel comfortable doing that and that they have opportunities to grow. Oh, there'll be opportunities. There'll be plenty of space to go. In a small team, there's always interesting things to do. And in our team, they will have exposure to the whole business as well. If anything, I think the difficulty will be keeping them whelmed rather than overwhelmed. (laughs) The right amount of well, the right amount of whelming is <laughs> an important thing. But yeah, I've got things that I'm planning, which is, you know, I will have a weekly one to one with those folks. And I would expect them to be pairing most days mm-hmm. with people. We work four days a week at my company. So I'm going to suggest that they work four days a week. And then on the fifth day, they do some structured learning for themselves in whatever format that is, whether mm-hmm. that's like videos or reading mm-hmm. or. Well, that was something I did. Like I was mentioning that I created space to pair and learn. And I realized they weren't getting opportunities to learn outside of what was like feature development Mm. work, like what the team was doing, projects, tickets, whatever. I don't think other teams have done this, but I created this 10%, 10% time, 20%. I don't exactly know. Four hours a week. The T works both times 10%. 10%. Yes. Right. 40 hours. (laughs) Math. So yeah, built in 10% time where we all agreed as a team that Fridays, everybody blocks off four hours and they spend that time. It's called learning time. And everybody has that block on their calendar. And we have no meeting Fridays too. So it's like, I got buy-in from the product manager as well, who also, I guess, wanted to learn things on their own for about product stuff. So I was like, great, let's just all block it off. We have no meetings anyways. Take this time, use your professional development stipend, learn something, use it. Don't just let it go. It's a nice way of creating accountability and also added to the culture of learning. So I think encouraging that, because I think, Mm. especially when you're not senior, it's almost like you feel like you have to be learning if you're contributing only. You don't realize that part of your job is to learn because as an IC, I didn't necessarily spend Fridays from eight to 12 doing it because my boss told me I was allowed to. I would just be like, I got to learn how this works. So I'm spending three hours on this. And I knew that I was justified in doing it. I knew it was part of my job. I knew it was making me a better engineer. And also like, if I didn't do it, I would just be blocked. I would have to learn this thing. But I think earlier in your career, and like we're talking about even mid-level engineers at this point, it's almost like having the permission to be allowed to learn. Somebody telling you like, no, this is actually important. You are more than allowed to do this. In fact, I am telling you to take four hours a week to do it. The permission almost like opens the door more because it's just so easy to be like, I'll just pick up the next ticket. I feel like it's a thing. It's like what I expect from senior folks is for them to go, oh, I saw this thing when I was reading this book or 
I want to bring this thing that I learned into our, and I don't mean in this kind of, there's like a classic mid-level trap, which is I read this design pattern and now I must apply this design pattern right. to all of the things. Yeah. And I don't mean that. What I mean is I saw this thing or there's this new hosting place. This tool popped up in my Twitter feed. They advertised to me, is this something we'd be interested in? Or is just to bring things is part of your job. And you can only do that if you're given the space to go and investigate. Yeah. You see with lots of people, like lots of people don't learn or they, it's a, not a dogmatic learning. It's a because I think that's a trait of a great engineer is that you just keep learning. Yeah. You just keep reading. Like I read a lot of stuff and some of it's useless. And then I try and regurgitate as well. Like, you know, the newsletter thing that I finally picked up again after three months, four months, five months off is me crystallizing why I recommend things in PRs. Because mm -hmm. if I can crystallize why I would make the recommendation, then I know why I'm doing it. And yeah. then when I don't know how to do it in the future, I can Google on my own website will come up. Yeah. Right. The regurgitation of the learning that crystallizes it in your head and then shares it with other people because then you're teaching as well as learning. Right. And I think it's just like you get it to a certain level where you don't need permission to do that. There's an intrinsic value that you have realized, like what you just described. I'm learning, I'm teaching, I'm reinstilling it in myself. I'm documenting it for myself two years from now. You've already clearly internalized and understood the value of learning. But I feel yeah. like earlier in your career, you don't always know how important that is. And I'm trying to create a culture of learning so that it's less like, am I allowed to do this? Do I have permission to do it? And more like... Do I have to do this on the weekend? Right, right? No, yeah. Yeah, that's a big thing too. Yeah. Like, I don't want them to have to spend a Saturday. And I think that's very unfair and not equitable. If you want to, fine. Yeah. But then it's an interest thing. I will occasionally read a business book as opposed to fiction. Yeah. That technically is work. Am I always going to carve it out of my work day to do it? No. Sometimes I'm going to read because I think it's interesting because I'm a super nerd. No, <laughs> <laughs> Super nerd. The expectation shouldn't be like, well, if you want to learn stuff for your job, you got to do it on Saturdays. No. And I think that's a practice I want to take going forward for all teams. Yeah. Like in the future, if I have a team with all senior engineers, I think that still matters. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. Definitely. So I wanted to ask you, this episode is called Back into People Management. You talked yeah. about being an IC uh -huh. and now you're this people managing CTO, who also codes. What made you go back? Was it intentional? Was it accidental? I like the mentoring part. Mm. I also like problem solving and there's nothing more problematic than other human beings. <laughs> so no, I'm a kid, but also I don't kid. There's a satisfaction to helping people get better. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's true in a mentoring way and in a pastoral way or like demonstrating how you can enjoy your, like, you know, I'm fortunate. My wife doesn't understand that I enjoy my work. She's like, but don't you like just want to put everything down on at the end of a Friday? I'm like, no, not if there's a really good problem to solve. Mm. Yeah. So we don't have a big team. Like I'm not sure how I would manage a team of managers, for example. Yeah. I've been in roles like that, but not for very long and not as the obvious named person at the top of the tree. I've always enjoyed small teams. And I think that's because I kind of individualize people and try and work out what makes them tick and yeah. how I can help that one person. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be several people, but like trying to individualize that stuff. It's easier um, when it's like three people versus like 12. And I think that's always the thing, right? Like good managers end up with too many people. This is the sad truth of it. It's like, you can't really, like my other half used to end up managing direct reports of like 10, 12 people. And that's just... You can't, you can't do a day of one-to-ones and still yeah. be functional yeah. right, in a week. Like you yeah. can't do that. It's just too many contact points. And I think at that point, the skill I guess you need to develop is picking out the people in those teams who can then manage one or two people. I think the trees should be sort of taller 
the lower levels and then if they can be independent then great or like i don't know like i've never really seen a large organization work well in just, point like, blank. Just, just point blank <laughs> like this ends up being so much just noise or distraction or any of those things i've had really great sort of vp engineering above me when i've been managing a team mm-hmm. and i had really good relationships with those folks and yet we've still like missed obvious stuff the person who's not performing or someone coasts through their probation even though they shouldn't have got through or you let someone become a disruptive influence in the team for too long because you're trying to be nice all of these things are failings of like trying to be nice god that is my worst failing using hope as a management tool does it hope is not a management tool <laughs> it's like oh, i really hope they get it together this week we've been talking about that a lot i'm part of this like engineering managers book club which is not official thing we just all decided like let's read this book together and talk about it once a month the book we're reading is called radical candor oh yeah it's that's quite good yeah i was reading it at- it's a bit name droppy she's a bit like when i was at lunch with mark zuckerberg i was like <laughs> yeah all right i get you right in fancy places but like the advice is generally good but it's like a little bit like a slap in the face. Yeah. Like where I'm like, oh, this feels harsh, but maybe I should be more okay with this. <laughs> yeah. I think it's the balance, isn't it? It's like, I need encouragement to be harsh. Mm. But then, which is kind of, it's difficult, right? Because that requires incredibly good communication skills not right. to damage the relationship. And getting over your, I don't want to be mean. I don't want to hurt yeah. anybody's feelings. But like, you also do a disservice when you don't say things and don't yeah. call things out. So it's part of the job. In that book particularly, there's a lot of space for individual skill that isn't covered in the book because I don't think you can teach it. I think it's a really, as in all of like pretty much every business book should be like a 10 page pamphlet <laughs> because that's actually where the true information is. Yeah. I read some of them. A really good way to read a business book is to watch their TED talk. Mm, right. Don't read the book. Because I'm just like... The TED Talk is basically the book, but stretched to 200 pages because that's how publishing works. Yeah. It's just a lot of her stories. So it's like, okay. I found that exhausting in that book. (laughs) The name dropping and personal stories. But yeah, absolutely. Like that kind of honesty as a tool for effectiveness and with kindness. Yeah. And that's incredibly hard to do. Yeah. (laughs) It takes years and years of training. Yeah. That's the hard work. Scheduling Zoom calls is not that hard. I think of parents, parents and children in this respect. I think of my own parents. As a parent now, I can see my own parents when they want to say something and they can't because they don't feel like they can. And you're just like, oh, this is the same thing. It's the same impulse in humans. It's like, (laughs) I want to tell you that you're being a dick, but I can't because it will be horrible. And then you'll row with me. And because you have to be in a position to be willing to accept that kind of communication as well. What's radical is the not caring that you're going to cause some emotional ruptures Right. That's the hard stuff you have to undo. Yeah. And I see it's kind of like, not my problem. <laughs> well, yeah, you can just, you can just drop bombs and walk away like a cool person and walking away from an explosion, right? That's... <laughs> and also that's kind of the role, right? We've talked mm. about this before. Like you have power as like a contractor or an individual contributor to sort of go in, tell the hard truths to the people who need to hear them and then bail out being cool. Except obviously with a text editor. So a bit less cool. <laughs> But you seem happier in it now. Like yeah. much, much happier. I love my team. I mean, I lucked out. I have two engineers who are super driven, super motivated, really want to learn, mm. always eager to hear feedback. I've seen them grow. And like, that's really satisfying. Mm. Like, oh my God, if I look back seven, nine months ago to now, it's a world of difference. And I like to think that like, it's 
because of equipping them with projects and opportunities that have helped them grow and like filling yeah. in the gaps that the team didn't have. But like, I was also very lucky. I inherited a great team and my job was just don't mess it up more. Don't like yeah. do anything. Just try to make it better. So it's a nice clean slate. And I'm really glad I tried it again because I would have maybe never had this experience if I had just the previous experience color my perception of people management. Now I know like it can be really bad. You can be in the middle of the ocean, but you can also swim. So at least I gave it another shot. And I'm glad because, I mean, going to work has been really fun because of this team. 